Hello and welcome to Get Informed America, the show that breaks through the mainstream media box to bring you real smart news. Hi, I'm Dave Oakenquist, and joining me is the editor of InformedAmerican.com, who also happens to be the smartest man I know, Mr. Rodney Johnson. Rodney, good morning. Morning, Dave. How is uh, how's life treating you in Texas, Rodney? I understand you uh, may have a, a little bit of a slower internet connection, just to let everybody know. What's, what's going on at home, Rodney? Well, it's a little struggle. Uh, I think it's school back in session now. They're, are, they're finally, they're doing a lot more online right this minute. And so uh, it's been a big push and uh, maybe overloading the system down here. Yeah, see, so, you know, everybody wants kids to go back to school, but I don't. I want everyone to be <laughs> locked down or no, I want them all to go to school and do no virtual learning. So that way you exactly. can exactly. keep the Zoom lines clear for me. <laughs> Man, uh, Zoom, that's a company we all should have uh, invented uh, just a couple of years ago. It would have been very prescient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, Rodney, we're going to go get into our topics. And uh, just so everybody knows, Rodney does not know what I'm going to ask him. So although, you know, we're not talking about uh, zoology or anything, although maybe something will come up, but uh, it should be, <laughs> should be stuff in your wheelhouse. So let's start. Let's start with a story that you just put out uh, uh, just this morning. Trump barely pulls into lead in latest national poll. Now, we've talked a lot about the polls, Rodney. Uh, a lot of our, our viewers, are, are they either don't believe the polls or, have, or are suspect about uh, some, of the, some of the numbers coming out of the major polling outfits. Uh, this one in particular comes from Rasmussen. Uh, it said President Trump pulls ahead of challenger Joe Biden by 1%. As you say, it's not much of a lead, but it's within the margin of error of the survey, and it, it it doesn't really necessarily count as a lead because, you know, it's a couple of percents margin of error, but it does matter. Uh, and and I, one of the things, um, uh, a point that you make often when it comes to economic data, and I'm going to just apply it here to polling data, is it's not necessarily the numbers themselves, uh, but the trend in those numbers. Right. And so what are we seeing in the trend over the last couple of weeks? Well, and, and like you said, you know, it's the first time that he's had a lead. Uh, and so that's interesting in and of itself. And it's certainly the first time that he's been over 45% uh, in terms of likely voters. Now, I, I want to caution on this. This is a national poll. And so if you are picking up a couple of more voters in the state you're already going to win, it doesn't mean anything. Right. And so this is all about the election is going to be all about these swing states, which I know we beat on, but we got to keep that you know top of mind. Yeah. Uh, and so then it becomes a question of why. And so nobody can say because the voters that are saying, yes, I would, didn't say a week before, no, I wouldn't. And then this is why or whatever. But you can look around at what's going on and say, well, you know, Trump's message is law and order. And you're seeing the national um, trend and opinion moving against these protests that have become violent. People saying, hey, that's not what I want. I mean, everybody or most everybody I've talked to has seen or, 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 or pointed out. They're all for protests because it's our right in the Constitution, but the violence, not a chance. And so uh, with Trump coming out and getting in front of this and saying, wait a second, you can protest, but all this, uh, you know, um, arson and the rioting and, you know, all that other stuff, that's got to go. Yeah. And so I think that's resonating. And we can't discount people who are leaving Joe Biden. And so it's not as if these people went from undecided to Trump, right? They're actually flipping a little bit. And so are people getting a better look at Joe Biden, a better understanding of what he says he wants to do and deciding that's not their thing? So I don't know, probably a combination. Yeah, Biden coming out of the basement, because uh, at some point he has to, and now he's been sort of out and about. Although, uh, and, and for everybody, for, for our viewers, uh, they, they may have seen me attend the uh, Mike Pence rally, which is just a few miles down the road in Clearwater, Florida. And I told him I was looking to see 
uh, when when Biden or Harris or somebody like that would come to the Tampa area, and I'd try to be there myself. Now, just this week, Biden did did come to Tampa, uh, Hillsborough County, to, to talk to six veterans. There was no <laughs> there was no place for me to go there. There was no uh, there was, like in the Pence rally. There was about uh, I don't know two or three hundred people in, in a hotel conference room. Uh, no such event for Biden. So I did not have the opportunity to go there. I don't know necessarily what the point of traveling to a state just to meet with a couple of people is, but I guess that shows him going out there. Well, I mean, it, it serves a couple of purposes. One, it, it illustrates what he's trying to get across is that he is the candidate that's recognizing the seriousness of this situation and the gravitas of the uh, pandemic. And so he's not holding these big events because he feels that it would put people at risk, but he's still out there. And so on the flip side of it, it creates some buzz in the local news. You know he was there meeting with six people because the local press is telling you that. And so that's that's what he needs is he needs to be top of mind in these battleground states. And you can't do it by, you know, talking about something from, you know, a studio at your home or anything else. You got to show up. Yeah. People talk about it when you show up. And, and to the point, uh, you just saw Trump hold the rally in Nevada and people are upset with him, but they all reported it. And so it turns <laughs> into that free press, right? which is what he, he got so much of in the 2016 election cycle where he didn't spend a nickel or not very much on advertising because he didn't have to because the press was talking about him all the time. Yeah. Uh, last thing on this poll, now that, as, I'm not sure if I mentioned this is from Rasmus, and so it is a right-leaning poll. Yep. Um, yeah, this isn't exactly uh, Quinnipiac University polling here, but which had, <laughs> Biden even their Even their poll, he has not been ahead in their poll, their Washington Watch poll, right since they started it two and a half months ago. And so even though it's right leaning, I mean, they, they're not pulling punches on it. So, yeah. And uh, one of some of the details um, as well is uh, now this, I believe this may have been a separate poll, but it said that uh, 52% of likely voters rate Trump's handling of the economy as good or excellent. Uh, now that's up from 39% um, in mid 2017. Uh, that, that was, I guess, the low point. Now, and then uh, another here, 49% think the, think the president is doing a good job handling national security issues. So two points there is uh, the economy. I mean, this is, it seems to me just a function of things are coming back. So now Trump is getting credit for it. That's sort of how I read that. Uh, get, get your thoughts on that. And then the last thing here on the handling national security issues, 49% approval. Could this be actually um, voters considering national security as uh, maybe domestic insecurity? Uh, I, I don't know. It's probably got something to do with that. I mean, taking these in the reverse order, national security first, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't look at the protests and people saying they want to bring down America and, you know, kill the police and light everything on fire yeah. as not a threat of some sort. There might not be that many of them. I mean, if you group them all together, I don't know, what is it, a few thousand people? I mean, it, it, in a nation of 335 million, it's not that big of a percentage, but it still gets your attention when they're lighting stuff on fire. Um, and it could be that people have watched Trump uh, over his tenure uh, take a hard line on Iran and take a hard line on China and say, look, this is what we're doing uh, in, with these different situations around the world where he's not trying to make peace with everybody. He's straight out saying, look, America first. That's my job. That's what we're doing. And the message resonates. What about uh, certainly these resonates with some. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you there. But what, what about this uh, recent peace deal between Israel, UAE, Bahrain, and potentially getting some of the Arab states involved here? Could that be maybe playing a role here? It does seem like it's a little bit under the radar. Do you make any any bit of this news in terms of helping uh, President Trump's support? 
I don't know that it helps him as much as it could, because I think we talked about this last time as well. I mean, he's the only president, you know, in modern history who can make a peace deal in the Middle East and it's not front page news because he creates such an issue with everything else he says. Right. That yeah. it kind of overshadows it. Uh, but the, the fact that it's done, I, I give him a lot of credit for. It's a huge deal. It's a pivot point in the Middle East. Um, it, it, I don't think it can be overstated. Uh, and so there's a lot of history that, that is involved in that region, of course, uh, the implacable foes over there who were not going to move. I mean, the, the Palestinian situation wasn't going to move because it didn't serve anybody's purpose for it to change. In terms of the power brokers, they weren't going to get a better deal by changing their stance. And so if, if you can get some of these uh, outside-in states, being Bahrain and, uh, um, you know, the other Gulf Emirates, to come along, nobody does anything over there without uh, on that side of the fence without maybe giving it their blessing now it's tacit they don't have to you know come out in public and say it's the coolest thing ever mm -hmm. but you don't sign those deals unless the kingdom is on board yeah. and so that is an absolutely phenomenal change and trump is a big part of it not just because jared kushner put it together but because he took a such, hard, such a hard line on Tehran, and Tehran is the enemy of the region. I mean, not just directly, but through Hezbollah over in Lebanon and the other things they do. And so it's, it's lining up as an us and them, and we're on the us side, and that's where we want to be. Um, you talked about um, economics in the first part of that. Great news this week. I mean, fabulous news that median household income reached $68,700 uh, in 2019. And so the highest in history, it expanded by 6.8%, the fastest rise in history, and the poverty rate dropped to 10.5%, which is the lowest since they started keeping records in 1959, and the, the spread narrowed. And so the inequality, men to women, uh, uh, among the races, from high income to low income, all of that narrowed. 2019 was fabulous in terms of all of those things for income. Now, it's COVID, right? We're, we're in the land and time of COVID. And so yeah. 2019 might as well be a thousand years ago. Yeah. But when you say Trump did a better job on the economy, well, you look at what went on and it was pretty good years. I'm, I'm not a fan of all the debt. I don't, I don't think that we can handle this long term. But my goodness, you look at what people earned in income and it was pretty good. Yeah. And uh, now let's, let's stay with the economy a little bit, Rodney. Uh, something that you, you, you always have a uh, keen, uh, you have your eyes and ears to the ground on, uh, on, on the financial uh, stuff that's going on with finance and you write about that as well. Uh, so let's, uh, let's, I want to bring up a story here from wallstreetwirenews.com. Latest electro, electric vehicle IPO could provide unique entry into a growing market. And uh, this one begins the same as, as the adage goes, you don't want to be a gold miner as much uh, as most of them go broke. Instead, you want to be the merchant that sells them picks and shovels. And now this, we could be seeing an opportunity here uh, in the investment world in terms of electric vehicles. Uh, since it's been hard for investors to get a pure play on charging stations thus far, but that could be about to change. A company called ChargePoint Inc., one of the world's oldest and largest electric vehicle charging networks, is about to reverse merge with Switchback Energy Acquisition Corp. Uh, Ronnie, what, what could this mean for investors? Well, I, it gives you a chance to own it. And so that's a big deal because, um, you know, you can buy Tesla. Tesla, it is what it is, right? They've never made a nickel selling cars. Yeah. They make their money by selling credits for emissions to other car makers. Uh, but 
you, um, you, it gives you a chance to buy that infrastructure that everybody's going to need because people keep talking about, you know, having millions and millions of electric cars, but they don't address the situation where you can drive down the road and see 20 gas stations in five miles and no charging stations. And, and so people are like, oh, well, you're going to charge at home. It's like, really? Are you really? I mean, I, Dave, is your garage set up for two cars to be charged every night? No. So exactly. And so most people don't have that luxury. Most people right now who are charging their cars at home, they, they bought a $100,000 Tesla. And if you can spend $100,000 on a vehicle, you probably have some means. Now, I know that the Model 3 is out there and it's selling more and it's 40 something thousand, but still... I mean, you're probably of some means. We know that's who their client base is. And so when you get into the average guy buying the average car, not to mention the average townhome or apartment dweller who's renting and it's not anywhere near their place where they live. So what are they going to do to charge these vehicles? And as you add more cars that need to be charged, the charging stations you have are going to be overrun. I mean, the, the ones at the airport, the ones at you know municipal parking garage. And so we're going to need a phenomenal rollout of infrastructure building to support electric vehicles and charge point and charging stations are the thing. Now I've said many times, you need the electricity too. And so, I mean, people are looking around and saying, gee, I want, you know, green electricity. Well, you really want steady electricity. That's, <laughs> that's the name of this game. And so, uh, there, there's a couple of components in there. Um, charge point, uh, doing a reverse merge with switchback, uh, like I said, it's going to give people an opportunity to get involved and perhaps get involved on the ground floor, like buying Tesla, I don't know, whenever they went public back in 2012 or whatever it was. And so should give you could give you an opportunity there that's just as big, if not bigger, because this will serve many different cars instead of just one. Yeah. Now, okay. So I want to, let's, let's think about what this world that we're talking about that, that, that you believe certainly is coming, what that might look like. You mentioned uh, charging stations uh, in certain places. Certainly there's plenty of gas stations with multiple pumps and all that. Um, I think there's like a Thornton's right down the street with, I think like 30 pumps. <laughs> it's like crazy. And just uh, about a mile down the road is a Walgreens with an electric vehicle charging station. It's a single parking space that's all it is and and right. you know, i think about it it's how does this work practically rodney these things have to become more efficient so in other words so i go to walgreens and and okay so let's just say i get that spot um i mean how much is maybe 10 minutes of charging going to get me or does it need to be something where everywhere or there's like half the parking lot is full of charging stations or something like that what does this actually look like well, it, and so it's going to come in stages. The first one is the car's on the road right now. You're not going to get much out of 10 minutes. And so you need a supercharging station and your vehicle has to accept such a charge and you need a place where you can park it for half an hour. Right. And so the, 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 the original idea was you put it at restaurants, you put it at shopping malls, you put it at retail shops, places where people are going to spend reasonably 20, 30, 40 minutes an hour, whatever it is, right? Yeah. You put it outside a nice restaurant and people can actually charge. Now you're mixing two things. You're mixing a task with a pleasure. And so do you really want to say, oh, let's go to Saltgrass because I can get the charging station for 30 minutes. And by the way, you can only get it if one other person having dinner that hour is not using it. Right. And so the problem is, since we don't wait in line for those things, we're not at the ready to roll over time after time after time. And so 
there's going to be an app for scheduling where you get in line, blah, blah, blah. Somebody's going to figure that one out pretty quickly. I'm not worried about that. Um, but the other thing is, and it's something I believe we talked about last week or a couple of weeks ago, there's a new company who is bringing um, solid state lithium batteries to market. And they're also reverse merging, a company called QuantumScape. And so their battery can go further more density per weight unit uh, than the current lithium ions, and it can accept up to 80% charge in 15 minutes. Oh, wow. That's the game changer. When you that get is. under 15 minutes, it's like, okay, now you kind of got something. Uh, and so when we see those two things merge, more charging stations and batteries accepting charge at a faster rate, that's where it starts to be interesting, right? Uh, because you, it's hard to picture yourself at a gas station for 35, 40 minutes <laughs> once it's your turn. Think about being third in line. So now you're two hours because you, everybody gets 30 minutes before, you know, you get yours. Yeah. And so it's hard to see yourself in line at a gas station for two hours, but you can certainly see yourself spending, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes there uh, every 400 miles to get the extra charge. Uh, really interesting stuff here as this world is yeah. rapidly evolving. So I appreciate you keeping an eye on that and uh, maybe pointing some people to, to some potential opportunities if they want to get into that space. Uh, Ruddy, let's, let's, let's stick with politics a little bit as it then um, goes, or I'm sorry, stick with the economy a little bit. And then as it relates to politics, I got a story here from CNBC that just completely floored me. Uh, it says Yelp data shows 60% of business closures due to the coronavirus pandemic are now permanent. Uh, says as of August 31st, over 163,000 businesses have told Yelp that they're closed and they're not going. And then, uh, yeah, so almost 100,000 of those are permanent. Uh, this is, as we talk about the economy coming back a bit and uh, things looking up in certain ways, I mean, the, the destruction of, you know, most of these, the vast majority of these are small businesses, sole proprietors, most likely. Uh, this is not good, Rodney. And what, what, what does this future look like uh, when what? I mean, just ghost towns? What, what are we going to look at here and how long is this going to last? I, what we're seeing here, of course, is these small businesses can't make their rent. Um, they can't get enough clients in the door or no clients. And so um, it's, it's a matter of who's going to survive to the next level. And it really does favor large businesses. If you're a mom and pop uh, coffee shop, then your opportunity to remain in business might be pretty limited because will your landlord renegotiate with you? Will he help you out? I don't know. But Starbucks has some power. And so there's no question that Starbucks is still going to be around. And so what I think we're going to see, and most of the businesses uh, that they talked about in that Yelp story are restaurants, bars, beauty salons. Um, and so, and even small retail shops like gift shops and things like that. Yeah. And so what I think you're going to see is in the short term, you're going to see people migrate back to the, to the larger national chains because they're the ones that can survive. Uh, and, but then you're going to see kind of a resurgence of these businesses over the next couple of years. What's really going to change is the character of the lease because where leases used to be, you know, $3,000 a month for the space, people are rapidly moving to a shared revenue lease where the landlord will take $1,000 a month plus X percent of your revenue. And so in the good times, you're having to give more away, but in the bad times, you get a bit of a break. And so that's, I think that's what's going to happen more. Now, this is all, uh, or 90%, most of it, or almost entirely government-imposed. And a story here from informedamerican.com from you, Rodney. Federal judge rules that Pennsylvania lockdown was unconstitutional. Uh, and it's, 
the quote here says, while those restrictions were well-intentioned, good intentions towards a laudable and are not alone uh, enough to uphold governmental action against a constitutional challenge. Indeed, the greatest threats to our system of constitutional liberties may arise when the ends are laudable. The intent is good, especially in a time of an emergency. Now, what what do we where where's the redress um you know you government basically government you forced me out of business um i mean is there anything especially in particular maybe in a state like pennsylvania could there be a lawsuit or something for here you made me close down and that that order to make me close down and lose my lose my business was unconstitutional rodney this has got to have a lot of people fired up and angry I'm sure it does, but there is no redress. I, you don't you don't get something back from the government when they do this, particularly in a situation like this where they didn't do it to a person. Uh, they did it to entire groups, uh, and they did it, as they say, for a laudable reason. Uh, turns <laughs> so out to be unconstitutional, on, so, so, so they so can't kill the ants. They just they just bombed the thing and killed everything in the house or something. <laughs> well. And, and this follows on the uh, the ruling in Wisconsin, right, where they ruled their lockdown unconstitutional as well. And so I think it's not redress in terms of getting back what you lost. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But it's hopefully setting the stage for perhaps a different path the next time around. And there will be a next time where people will think, and it's not going to look just like this, right? The old Mark Twain thing, right? History uh, doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And so I think people are going to look back whenever something of size comes and says, hey, wait a second, let's remember COVID-19. Let's remember what we did with this, you know, using a sledgehammer for this. And let's see if we could, instead of, you know, uh, instead of using a broadsword, let's use a scalpel and try to tailor it the best we can and, and particularly make it fluid where we have those break points or those end dates come up much sooner, 10 days, 15, 25, 45, instead of waiting 90 days and saying, Let, let's, let's readdress it much more often to see if we can get back people into their businesses as soon as possible. Yeah, have some uh, have some clear guidelines. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it, that does that does seem to be lacking. And, I, and I'll give you just a small example. It's not a business, but in my in my townhome uh, association. They still have the pool, the public pool lockdown with no real explanation other than a worry of liability. And, you know, people are like, what the heck? And most places, uh, most places have open for whatever reason ours isn't. And um, there, there, there's no, to the point of, there's no like, okay, so we're at this level now, so then we can reopen, you know? And then I think, you know, how can a business owner plan for something similar to that, which is what we saw from some of these state governments. I mean, even with this phasing stuff, you know, we go up to phase three and now we got to go back to phase two uh, kind of thing. And that, that's sort of uh, not, not clear messaging and, and not allowing people as well uh, to take some sort of a risk into their own hands, Rodney. Well, and, and the backside of that is exactly what you mentioned. We're, we're essentially held hostage to a lot of these backstop businesses like insurance companies that get to dictate the rules, whether they are uh, well-founded or not, because uh, frankly, you know, associations like yours can't afford it. They just can't. And so, you know, it's like standing in front of the TSA agent when you're trying to get on a plane and he says, well, you can't take this thing through. And you go, oh no, I know the rules. Yes, I can. Yeah. You still can't get on the plane, you know? <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> exactly. The gatekeeper's the gatekeeper. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I'm sure everyone's crying a river for me not be able to swim in my, in my <laughs> pool. But uh, but it is an illustration of that, of that kind of mentality we're seeing uh, nationwide with this kind of a thing. Um, 
Speaking of, Rodney, I want to end with some comments from Attorney General Bill Barr. And um, on this, I don't know if you, if you saw these or not, uh, but one of the things he said in relating to lockdowns, he called it, quote, the greatest intrusion on our civil liberties other than slavery, Rodney, strong words. He says, you know, to put a national lockdown, stay at home wars, it's like a house arrest other than slavery, which is a different kind of restraint. This is the greatest intrusion on civil liberties in American history. He says governments do what bureaucrats always do, which is they defy common sense. They treat free citizens as babies who can't take responsibility for themselves and others. What do you think of that comment from Bill Barr? Well, I I think he's overstepping. I mean, people who are students of history, and Bill Barr is a smart guy, should know that Abraham Lincoln did away with the uh, writ of habeas corpus during uh, the Civil War, so he could throw anybody in jail he wanted without cause. Um, uh, you know, clearly wanting to say, hey, I think they're a problem for the war effort. But still, there, there were a lot of things that <laughs> intruded on our civil liberties uh, be, between uh, the lockdown here and slavery. So I, I, I'm, I'm not about that, uh, <laughs> that, that uh, characterization at all. But his point remains that what you've done is deprive people of their right of freedom of assembly, free assembly. You've deprived people of due process uh, and separated them from their assets, being their businesses and other things. And so, and you haven't shown a really good reason as to why. You've shown a worry, you've shown a concern that that everybody shares and understands, but you haven't shown how this action is going to specifically address those concerns in a way that gives you that ability to override the constitutional rights. And if you just said, look, anytime you declare national national emergency, you can do that, it's like, well... Who gets to declare a national emergency? That would be the same government that wants to restrict your rights. That doesn't seem like much of a check and balance system. No, not at all. Uh, Barr had some other comments, Ronnie. I'd like to get your uh, your feedback on. He started from the Wall Street Journal. Barr tells prosecutors to consider charging violent protesters with sedition. Uh, as he's, <laughs> so basically, uh, you know, if you if you're advocating, I guess the idea here is if, if you're if you're a part of a group, let's call them Antifa or whatever, uh, who advocates for the overthrow of the United States government, and then uh, as part of your action is violence against, uh, say, a local government that could be considered sedition. Uh, what do you think of that? Is that overcharging? I think it's the definition of sedition. Okay, I, so. <laughs> I, I mean. I think he's clear. And and how could it be any different, right? If I want to overthrow the government and I tell people, look, I want to overthrow the government and I'm going to start overthrowing the government by trying to get rid of the police in my town. And I'm going to walk over to the police department. I'm going to fill a bottle of gasoline, shove in a piece of a T-shirt, light it on fire and throw it through a window. (laughs) Clearly, I've committed arson. Clearly, I've committed a number of other offenses. But my goal, as I stated it, was to create a domino effect to overthrow the government of the United States of America. I may be a raging idiot for trying to do it this way and have absolutely no chance of success, (laughs) but I'm still guilty of the crime of wanting to, you know, to do this. And so in my world, I think he's on point. Yeah. And these these people's statements and their actions are the clearest indication of what they say they want to do. When you hold a sign that says, death to America, end of America, overthrow the government, and then you start burning things, I think people can put those together. How about, how about a sign that says burn it all down and then you, <laughs> is that clear? And then you burn it all down. Right. And so what we're coming back to is the same thing that we kind of, we hit here often, but, but we don't often say out loud, is responsibility for your actions. 
you bear responsibility for your actions. And while it might be separated some, and we're seeing that in some of these protests where people are not bearing any responsibility, eventually we all hope it comes back to you so that you have to answer for your actions because yeah. that's how our system is built. And if you don't do it, then you've ruined the system we have, which is called the rule of law, where all laws apply to all people equally. And once you end that, the wheels come off. So. Mm. Yeah, this story continues. To bring a sedition case, prosecutors would have to prove that there was a conspiracy to attack government agents or officials that pose an imminent danger, legal experts said. Now, I think there is plenty of evidence for that from Portland, uh, specifically going after government agents in that case, at least, right? Well, and, and yes, and, and to your point, I mean, they weren't going after local police officials at the beginning. They were, well, actually they were. But then once the federal officers showed up at the courthouse, they were specifically going to challenge and engage the federal officers. Mm-hmm. And it can't be more direct than I went to the federal courthouse because that's where the federal officers were. So I started the fire there. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. Seems pretty clear. Yeah, me too. And uh, last bit about Barr, you may have seen this. Bill Barr's uh, asked the DOJ to look in at charging uh, Portland officials and the, uh, for the BLM violence along with the Seattle mayor for allowing the uh, Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone or whatever they're calling it to, uh, to, uh, to just go up and, you know, allow a police-free zone for all that time. So right. this would be sort of, a, and this, you know, maybe goes back to what we were talking about just a little while ago, was where's the, where's the responsibility for the government for, for a lot of the stuff that goes on in terms of lockdowns? Now, in terms of what you might call uh, gross negligence in a city or <laughs> intentional negligence, uh, that may be a step too far, but I'd be curious what you think about this. I Actually, hold on, let, let me rephrase that. Let me, let me rephrase that. Okay. To what extent... Is can a public what 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 point would charges have to be brought against, say, a mayor if they're completely derelict or negligent in their duty? What would be the threshold for something like that? Now, it doesn't have to be the Seattle mayor here. It doesn't have to be our, our favorite America's favorite mayor, Ted Wheeler, out of Portland. Um, so I'm not talking about theft, bribery, embezzlement, but but this kind of thing. Uh, at what level would it take? Well, it, it, unfortunately, the answer is local. Uh, because statutes are written for each city. And so everybody's got their own threshold as to uh, what they believe uh, constitute a enough of a dereliction of duty, enough of a failure to perform your duties to remove you from office. And typically, it's a vote by a city council, or it could be a recall vote in the general population. Uh, but I don't think this has to go that far. I don't know that Barr has standing or the DOJ has standing in something like um, the, the Capitol Hill thing in Seattle. Uh, in Portland, Portland's interesting to me because it's something we talked about at the beginning uh, as the courthouse thing was going on and, and uh, Mayor Kate Brown and Governor uh, Ted Wheeler were saying, hey, the feds need to leave. Yeah. Uh, I, I said that, look, they should leave and they should leave with the understanding, the written understanding that the city would safeguard the courthouse and any damage would have to be paid for by the city. And so in my world, that's the federal standing. If you, if, if damage, if the federal property was damaged, the city should pay for it because you allowed it to happen. Yeah. And so I think businesses and uh, citizens, homes, whatever, that have been damaged in these cities, they're the ones that have standing to go back to the city officials and say, this happened because you did not enforce the law. And it's really clear you didn't enforce the law. And your reason for it doesn't really matter. You didn't do your job. 
And so one, the city should reimburse me for my damage. And two, you should be removed from office. And so I think those are the ones that have standing. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, whether or not it's going to happen in Portland, I don't know. I think I would be surprised if you don't see this in both Kenosha and in Minneapolis. Uh, because you know what? These are middle America cities. And yeah, Minneapolis is a little bigger, 400,000, but still kind of a middle America sentiment. It's like, wait a second, you allowed all this to happen and I'm having to deal with all the aftermath and the cleanup and the rebuild and you're doing nothing. And so I, I would be surprised if we don't see those sorts of lawsuits show up. Yeah, I think so too. And I don't know what came of that uh, Seattle lawsuit from those business owners from CHOP, but it was in the billions of dollars. And I think it <laughs> very quickly after that, uh, Seattle's like, yeah, maybe we want, we want to break this thing down. Uh, so yeah, I think um, uh, lawsuits and monetary damages is probably the way to go and uh, leaving it up to the voters. I mean, I can't, I mean, Portland is a pretty lefty city, but I, I, I don't know the extent, well, it would just be another Democrat, but uh, I mean, any other Democrat probably was... <laughs> It's Ted Wheeler. <laughs> I'm a big fan of people choosing, right? Uh, I always want government to drop to the lowest level that can perform the task. And so uh, federal oversight of Portland is, is not on my radar. Uh, let the Portlanders, Portlandians, I'm not sure how they describe themselves, uh, but let them pick their own government and deal with it. And if they think all this is okay, it's theirs, right? I guess so. <laughs> I guess. It is. It's it's yours to it's yours to allow to to I don't know fall apart I guess yeah and people could just they'll end up moving out you know voting with their feet I guess as we're seeing out of uh, places like New York City uh, do you have any thoughts on that uh, city exoduses before we get out of here I think that's a, a big thing and I think it's going to be a long thing um, so you're seeing some some companies come back. And so companies are, are recognizing that you do lose something when people are not together. You lose creativity, you lose the bonds among peers. And so businesses do want people back in the office, but it's not going to be like it was. Mm -hmm. And so this, this move into suburbs, this move to telecommute uh, is real, long lasting and long term. And so cities around the nation that got used to a very high level of tax revenue and a very high level of mass transit in for work are going to have to deal with that. I mean, New York City, I, if my numbers are right, it was like four and a half million people was the population of New York. But every day, another three and a half million people commuted into the city to work. Wow. And so this is a phenomenal influx of capital that shows up in mass transit in terms of buying tickets for the subway and the bus or whatever. People buying a cup of coffee, buying lunch, doing whatever they do, taking their shoes to get repaired, shopping at stores, and tax revenue. I, depending on where you live, this might not hit your radar, but if you work in a city like New York, you have to pay the New York City income tax. And so you can live in Jersey, but you are paying New York State income tax and New York City income tax. And so once you're no longer crossing the bridge, you're not paying those taxes anymore. Yeah. And so, believe me, New York City in particular, New York State uh, to an extent, are going to feel a huge tax hit from this. Yeah, I think I saw Governor Cuomo basically begging people to come back, essentially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was saying he would take hedge fund managers to dinner, right? And uh, in New York City, their estimate is they're going to be now $9 billion. $9 billion. It's a big number for just a city. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so something, uh, certainly a trend we'll keep our eye on. Ronnie, I want to thank you for coming on and discussing all these topics with me. I hope you all enjoyed this discussion. Uh, let's go ahead and comment down below. Let us know your thoughts. If you're watching here on Facebook, please hit the like button and share this video with your friends. If you're watching on YouTube, also please hit the like button and subscribe to this channel. And we all want you to head on over to uh, wallstreetwirenews.com where we brought up that uh, electric vehicle IPO story. So definitely an opportunity for investors as well. We want you to head on over to the site that Rodney edits, informedamerican.com, where you can get real smart news in your inbox. Rodney, over the next coming days, when people head on over there and they share their email and they get a story in their inbox, what can they? What kind of stories can they look forward to getting? Well, I, I think the stories are going to be obvious. It's going to be political. I mean, the closer we get to election, I mean, the time is getting short. The messages are getting sharper. And so we're closing in on that first debate. We're, I don't know, a week and a half away or whatever it is, two weeks away. And so we'll see what happens. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested. I'm interested to see how all this pans out. Yep. Uh, we got first debate on September 29th. No, uh, I didn't hear a response from the Biden campaign if he was willing to go on Joe Rogan. I think they're just going to ignore the question. <laughs> I think they are too. <laughs> uh, we'll keep an eye on all of that. So again, thank you all for watching. For Rodney Johnson, I'm Dave Oakenquist telling you to get informed, America. You've been listening to Get Informed, America. Brought to you by the Informed American Radio Network. Please like and subscribe today in order to get new exclusive weekly episodes. Any questions, thoughts, or comments can be sent directly to info at informedamerican.com. And don't forget to visit informedamerican.com to keep up with real, smart news. Until next time, fight fake news and find common ground.